Welcome, friends, compatriots, lovers, to the broadcast. <laughs> I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And that man bringing, bringing the mouth tunes to the show. Tracy Pearson. We don't have any. We don't have any lead-in music. So I was no, just I don't to... believe in it. You really don't. No, I don't like do it. You? I don't like what they do on. I don't. What they? Uh, by by they, I do mean Ryan Abraham. I don't like the fact that we've got an intro on the POC. <laughs> like I don't like that either. And that thing's like friggin' that. long. That's like forty-five seconds of just like. Blah. I don't want that. No, cold open every time. Cold close. Nothing else. It is very long, but I, I like it. If it were shorter, I'd like it more because now that I've I've listened to your podcast uh, three times, mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it's a little long now. But I, I kind of I like it though. No, it's too much. It's too much. That's, I, I okay. don't like it, and that's why I don't listen to it. I guess you just don't want to hear your own voice. You're one no, of those actors who man. just doesn't want to watch himself act. Sincerely, right? though, like I hate I even before I was doing any podcasting, I would hate listening to a transcription where I was recording like myself talking to somebody, I, I couldn't listen to my parts. I would have to like fast forward. Dave, do you do you not like yourself? I think it's self-loathing at some level. <laughs> In Las Vegas. Yeah. Fear and self-loathing. Um, we've got a lot. I, this is not even a facetious. This is no week. BS. Absolutely no BS here on this show. Uh, we've actually got a lot to discuss today because we didn't record last week, but also everything is suddenly happening. Uh, we've got in the last couple weeks, we've had a schedule announcement. We've had effectively Pac-12 media day for football yesterday. We had you having a sit down with Mick Cronin with lots of informative nuggets about yes. the basketball team. And we've got the fall camp starting tomorrow or today, depending on well, when we put this up. Who knows? We do, we do not even have enough. It's starting today, Dave. This is Friday morning. But, yeah, um, right. Sure. We re- we're recording this at 6 in the morning on Friday. And we don't want to ever really go over an hour because it just, I, I have to admit, I don't listen to us either, but when I have, I turn it off because nothing against you, Dave, but I think both of us are intolerable. <laughs> I, 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 well, I think this goes back to the self-loathing where it's just yeah. I find myself intolerable. God, it's amazing. Uh, if there were people actually listening to themselves and say, God, I sound great. I'd be well. There are some people, but um, and they're largely successful, you know. Yeah, the ones yeah. who say that. Yeah, Matthew McConaughey. Remember um, Matthew McConaughey? And I'm bringing this up because it is UCLA related. His his he said the best book he's ever read, and the most important book is the book that says the world's best salesman, meaning himself. And if you ever remember Steve Lavin also advocated that book. So I'm sure those are two guys who love to hear themselves. Talk. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but we don't. But we don't. So we're, we're going to try to get out of this sucker pretty quick. <laughs> um, In and out and enjoy ourselves. All right. So first up on the agenda, uh, we wanted to talk about the football schedule, which was released last week uh, because we didn't get a chance to discuss it. Uh, the big the only revelation from it was who was UCLA's non-conference or non-division opponent going to be. And it ended up being Oregon, a team that was not on the original schedule for UCLA, not on the normal rotation, but apparently in the course of determining the schedules, they had to balance home and away, which played a factor in this, you know, Oregon had an away slot or whatever. So have you, 
Um, you, you're really believing that, like, oh, that's this what they said. An away spot. Uh, my yeah. my my theory on it is that it kind of serendipitously worked out to also give Oregon uh, <clears throat> easy game um, to and to set it up for a Friday night game where the entire country on national television of Chip Kelly going back into Eugene and facing the best team in the Pac-12. That there's a lot of drama there. Right? Yeah, yeah, I think there is. I, I think um, I, people have made compelling arguments that if they truly were trying to balance home and away, this was one of the few configurations where it would actually work. So that's fine and fair enough, I guess. I have to imagine some other considerations played a role because if you actually do kind of power rank the north and the south and you line up the opponents, it does seem like they at least made attempts to protect the you know f- the best perceived teams in the north and south in Oregon and USC. And so. they couldn't they couldn't give Oregon Arizona, right? That would look pretty. T- so they had to go a little Midland. So they went for UCLA. That's and- a that's a generous way of interpreting events. But Tracy, I have recently finished my fall camp previews, and I don't know. I just don't know if UCLA <laughs> is in the Midlands this year. I I believe they are living in the Midlands, but they also had to say. Mm-hmm. This was not done by some algorithm on a computer. They had to say, oh, my God, we have to send Chip Kelly back to Eugene. That would be great. Yeah, I'm sure they did some they did some uh, creative balancing. So yeah. uh, it's uh, aside from that, it's exactly what you would have thought. It's the uh, the schedule of division opponents from earlier in the year. Um, obviously, they start with Colorado. But other than that, um, it's, you know, those five opponents that we knew and Oregon. Um my early impression, are we going to do our yes, quick yes, early yes. Uh, schedule? Yeah, that's uh, my, what we're here for, Dave. My early impression is it's a two and four. That's what I would. That's going straight down like the line of who would be favored in each game. Yeah, Please. more or less. Um, I think there's obvious possibilities of three and three. Um, I think they can beat Colorado and Arizona. And then there's a chance that Utah's not really that good this year. They did lose a lot from last season. Um, so I think there's a chance of winning that game. I don't see much hope against USC. I don't see much hope against Oregon, obviously. And I think ASU could be pretty good. And I think between one of Utah and ASU, getting one win is reasonable. Getting both of them seems unreasonable. So, I'll say two and four. Um, they get Colorado and Arizona, or they get one of those two. Because I think those three teams might be pretty similar this year. Colorado, Arizona, and UCLA. Um, and then uh, maybe steal one from ASU or Utah. See, I, I, I say two and four also, but um, I think they'll either, they're going to lose to Colorado, either Colorado and Arizona, and pull an upset. I mean, when has it ever gone? <laughs> No, it's always something weird. We're just and they're gonna they're gonna farting in the wind here. Yeah, they're gonna beat Utah or Arizona State. Yeah, I I mean one of those. And and I really started to look at Utah a bit, not too much. And I know uh, Utah's a bit of a leap of faith. Also, they lost a lot of guys. You just have to think that all of their guys who have been in the system for a few years are are, who are going to step up into new roles are are going to be good, but there is a leap of faith there. Oh, absolutely. And the transfer quarterback. I mean, there's, there's a lot going on there. Um, people are wondering about Arizona state. Uh, I'm kind of not, um, they got some transfers that are going to 
bolster their offensive line. Their defense should be good returning, and they've got one of the best quarterbacks in the league who, as a true freshman, was pretty spectacular at times last year. So um, I think Arizona State is going to be good. Um, I just I I disagree. I think Arizona is going to be really bad. I think that I think that program's about to combust um, in terms of not just talent but coaching. I don't know if you were on. What the about part, that description Kevin, makes it? What about that description makes it different from UCLA? Um, I actually think UCLA has has a little bit more talent that's getting older, and I think UCLA actually has better coaching and is a more stable place. I think Arizona, there's, there's a lot going on there. And I mean, you weren't on the webinar, man, Kevin Subliman was salty. <laughs> yeah. He's, he was salty. I, I think that thing's ready, ready to go. I haven't looked at their, I should really look at their, um, their schedule before November 28th um, to see where they will be. But I would suppose I'd have to assume they're going to get pretty beaten up by then. Yeah, they're and playing always... at Washington the week before. Yeah, no. I, I, yeah, yeah. Um, UCLA is coming off. We'll have an extra day. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a win. Um, but I, I think they, they might. Uh, I'm The game that's really scary to me is Colorado. I uh, there's just too many things set up there. Carl Durrell, our our buddy, our old our old flame, Carl Durrell. You could just—it's so amazing. It's so set up. It's like written in a Ted Lasso episode that Colorado would beat UCLA in that season opener. Don't you think? Oh yeah, it would be beautiful too. Yeah, um, and especially if a... if if Durrell can like um, trot out like Manny White as like an honorary captain for Colorado or something. Hey, I finally found it. <laughs> <laughs> or if he's just standing at an odd place on the sideline. Like, what if he's, like, standing on, like, the side of his end zone? Or he's looking for Manny White. <laughs> yeah. Or, oh, yeah, just something. Like, open the, like, half the halftime, you know, thing. You know, he's, like, just says something like, I got to get Manny White involved. Just something. The, the thing about Carl Durrell, I mean, uh, looking back, he was not a very good coach. But he he brought in a lot of great coaches who went on assistant coaches who went on to do a, a lot of things. He had a he had a bad offensive scheme, but the, there he wasn't the worst coach of all time. And he is an ex Bruin, and he's he's a quality human being. He just to me doesn't have that gravitas he does to be a head coach. Like in the webinar, um, he just. He doesn't have that power, that strength of a head coach, like compared to Kyle Whittingham. I mean, he literally and figuratively filled up that screen. He talked all about how half of his discussion was about Eddie Van Halen, which yeah. you were still interested thinking about Kyle Whittingham loving. I'm just trying to picture Kyle Whittingham with like long hair when he's a teenager and rocking out to Van Halen. Um, but I just don't – I. That's why it would seem it's such a, a to, for Carl Durrell to upset UCLA. It's well, a, so a, perfectly set up. A, I mean, even just judging on his UCLA record, a clearly superior coach to UCLA's Chip Kelly. 
you'd have to say that. You'd, right. You'd have, you'd have to say based and Chip Kelly always says base your you are what on, your record. record. You're you what your record says you are. Yeah. And going to Colorado in November, it's going to be cold. That, that's not going to be warm. And UCLA doesn't do that that well. They were 0-2 in the last two times they've gone there. I think four and three. Uh, just have you been to a game there? No, I haven't. That's like I think the one that I have not been to in the fact. You can you can see why teams coming in. Uh, I mean, Boulder's beautiful and the stadium's beautiful, but it's a it's a there's a different feel with the oxygen and the air and the whole thing. It's a different environment completely. So that's gonna be a that's a tough game. Um, it's hard to it's hard to really say anything beyond two and four. Yeah, I think because you have to really make a leap that they're going to hold down wins of Colorado and Arizona, which I think they're not. They'll maybe lose to Colorado, but and then they have to beat Utah, Arizona State, or Oregon or USC, and that still gets them to just three and three. I mean, we're trying to we're trying to like scratch away to get to three and three well and the, the other thing is the only uh, there's maybe two north teams that they might be favored over but like i'm trying to think about that seventh game if we're talking about a way for them to potentially get to over 500 there's only two that i think they'd be favored over but at three and three through the first six i'm i'm anticipating that what they're going to do is 1v1 2v2 3v3 4v4 like just cross the divisional pairings and play them, you know, kind of evened up. Um, if if UCLA finishes three and three, they're not getting matched up with Washington State or Oregon State. They're more than likely getting Cal or Stanford. And if they get right. one of those two teams, I don't think UCLA is going to be favored. And so, getting this squad to something above five hundred this year seems very hard. That seems extremely difficult. Um, it just the way this schedule breaks. If they'd had if they'd kept Washington State on the schedule instead of Oregon, you could see it. If um, Maybe if they do something different with that seventh game, that would be somewhat illogical, but maybe they do it. Maybe that does it. But otherwise, I, I really don't know. I, I really don't see a way that they're going to be able to get above 500 this year. Right. Have you seen... Have you seen a definitive explanation on that seventh game it's definitely no uh, no not even that it's definitely a conference game i just think the, the logistics of matching it up with the big 10 are going to prove insurmountable i agree but the pack uh uh gosh what's a woman's name who's on the pack 12 network she does all of the ashley the adamson ashley adamson was talking definitively like it's still going to be within the conference yeah and, that, that would be my guess because it's the easiest thing to schedule Especially on right. short notice. And especially in the middle of December where you never know what the situation might be like. Um, but you're right. Let's say if they're even third or fourth, that could – anywhere in there could be Cal, Washington, or Stanford. It right. would be the most likely thing. Um, I think Stanford's not going to be very good this year, but I think Cal is going to be better than anyone thinks – and Washington will be solid, strong, but yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's tough. I, I don't think they get Oregon State or Washington State. 
And frankly, oh. Oregon State would be no. I, neither of those teams, I think, is as much of an obvious patsy as either Arizona or Colorado. Um, so even those two, by the end of the year, those might be not be teams that UCLA would be favored against. Um, you know, yeah. The thing I forgot to say about Colorado too, and Chip Kelly said it yesterday, and it's it's not just coach speak. They don't have any film on on Colorado. I mean, they do know the offensive coordinator. Uh, they don't uh, even have spring Cavarini. reports to read. They don't have spring reports. They have nothing. So they're. It's going to take them, you know, at least a quarter and a half to understand what they're running. Are you trying to tell me that there's a chance UCLA starts even slower this year? Between that, all so many new guys on this team that are within the two deep who have never taken a snap of college football. Yes, I'm going to say can, that. Can we talk about this roster now? Are you ready to you've, do that? You've been doing the preview for fall camp, which is kind of ironic because it's really the preview for it's really the preview for the fall season. The, the season, <laughs> the season preview. Like I'll take everyone behind the curtain for a second. No, the way I've thought no. about it a little bit is the season preview is kind of the big picture, like where things stand. You know, this things are, and for most of the last ten years, especially, it's been yeah, this entire thing's a mess and it's going to run into some icebergs. You know, but it's kind of the big picture overarching thing going into the year. These things, yeah, we don't really go into like super depth on the unit by unit stuff again. It's more or less at the beginning of fall camp. Um, going through this team, Tracy, going yes. through it unit yes. by unit, this roster is a friggin' mess. Like, um, especially defensively. Why would you say that, Dave? Especially defensively. Just well, in terms of personnel, balance, management, whole yeah, thing? Yeah, all of the above. But um, it really became obvious and clear looking at the back seven um, defensively. Uh, the last two ones I've written, I don't even know if we published DBs yet. Um, no, we haven't. Well, whatever. It will, it'll be published it'll, it'll be published by, this, by the time this yes. comes out. <laughs> um, but the, uh, the linebackers, I mean, I know we were, like, joking about it and harping on it, but the, the – the sincere fact that they signed so many freshmen and newcomers in that linebacker core and virtually every single one of them is an unknown at some level, just like not a known quantity in any real way. Um, it, it's just, there is simply no way to project, but also there is a way to do kind of an overarching project projection, which is all of or, or a significant number of these guys would have to be, more ready than your average person who hasn't either a played a lot or b played at all at the college level for this defense to be like average looking at it when you're talking about the linebacker core and you're saying bo calvert who played in one game last year one game six total games in his entire career and he's going to be basically the anchor of that defense um, and I think that is true because he could very well drag it down if he's not ready to play. Um, and you're talking about that as one of your most important guys. And he is a complete unknown. It, I, I talked about it in the story, but it's not like it was when, you know, when Jim Morris started and we were looking at Eric Kendricks and we had just spent a year gassing up Kendricks when he was a redshirt freshman. And we said, okay, he's going to come in and he's a new starter, but we totally buy that. I don't totally buy Calvert. I really do not know what he is going to bring to the table. I don't think he's Eric Kendricks. The question is, can he be even 80% of what Chris Barnes was last year? And and I think he's an outside linebacker. 
Yeah, <laughs> no, and he might very well opposite. be an outside guy. He might yeah. very well be. It's kind of how he it's how he plays. He he doesn't have to be a to be an inside guy. You need a lower center of gravity. You need to really have a lot of power that comes from that core. You need to be able to get into a mix. And he's more of put me out in space on an edge, run, run guys down, quick, long kind of guy. Yeah, um, I, I I agree. I agree. I think he's talented enough, um, but I think he's going to be very raw um i think he's going to be make he might make a good play then he's going to miss three assignments or just turn his body the wrong way and get off balance and get pushed some there are going to be things like that i think with him totally Uh, yeah and then you Um, but then you go back a little bit even beyond the linebackers and you look at the secondary and you're saying okay well they had some young guys you know step up a little bit and play last year but Again, you've got Jay Shaw potentially starting at cornerback, and I I've seen Jay Shaw play. He's he's played quite a bit of nickel, and he's played quite a bit. Is he what I would think of as like an ideal Pac-12 starter at cornerback? No, n- not at all. And then you look at the rest of the depth chart, and it's just unknown, 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 or provably not very good. Like Obi Ebo, great. You're adding some experience to the depth chart. He got beat out at Stanford last year. So by a, fre- by a freshman. By a freshman. So yeah. is he going to be able to even provide you, I don't know, 20 snaps a game? I have no idea. And then you look at the rest of this thing. Elijah Gates. Like, I'd love, I would love an essay about whatever happened. But he was third string in spring. So it, he's, it would be a, it would be a big leap to expect him to play a lot this year. So at that point, you're counting on what? John Humphrey being a potential third corner? Now you're down to true freshman. So that secondary, which we thought of as deep as of the beginning of last year, is suddenly, uh, again, just a cast of unknowns. You're just- I, I, this is my take on the secondary. First, I, wanna, I just want to say Obi Ebo got accepted into UCLA's law school. What a stud. Have you ever, ever, this is the first i've ever heard of a football player going to law school isn't it like uh, a masters of law or something oh i i don't know i think I it might be was... the master i think there's like a separate uh, okay. program i'm not sure okay okay i was giving him too much no it's still pretty impressive no that's impressive um, i think rashad williams quentin lake stephen blaylock and even jay shaw and i'm throwing in carl jones the star because we're going to call this a four two five pretty much um I think that's a solid that's a solid group of starters. Uh, I think a lot of the reason why they were not good last year, I think the coaching got all screwed around. But I think Quentin Lake, without Quentin Lake throughout the season, really hurt. Um, that was huge. Um, I think I've seen Stephen Blaylock throughout his high school career. I think he's a good player. He's going to be a good player. Everything just got turned around. I think he's going to be good. Um, if they can, I think Rayshad Williams have just project him to be a little bit better. As long as they don't, they don't do something completely unpredictable like they did last year, which was really stunning to watch. If they don't do that, you mean I think u- they, uniform regression. It was the strangest. It was really a strangest, strange thing, and. If we were ever going to 
like not just about Elijah Gates, if we really analyze, there are a lot of factors that went into that. Maybe over coaching, just laying too much on them, no pass rush, just a losing Quentin Lake, a lot of things. And and uh, Darnay Holmes probably not being 100%. Darnay Holmes didn't have a great year last no. year. Um, so I think they could be about as good as they were two years ago. I'm going to say that. But me, but I don't I that's not good enough. Well, Still. No, and that's the th- point I would make is that each of these guys, except for maybe Lake, who I really liked two years ago, is fine as your like fourth best guy in the secondary. Like if you were a pretty good team, like, you know, if if Stephen Blaylock's your fourth or fifth best guy in the secondary. OK, that's fine. If Rashad Williams is your fourth or fifth best guy at, at this present stage of their development, maybe Rashad Williams turns into a true lockdown corner, but he wasn't that last year. What he was was in context of the rest of the disaster of that secondary. Oh, this guy can actually get physical with receivers and doesn't look completely lost out there. Okay, he's good. But that's, I mean, that was the extent of it. Um, it wasn't like he was outshining, you know, Paul Sanadibo or whatever. He was he was just fine. Um Jay Shaw is, he's a guy who's going to have to play that role this year, but he's been just fine his entire career so far. So I'm just looking at this and I don't see anything that has any star quality except for maybe Quentin Lake. Um, And and we'll see with Carl Jones. We'll see with Carl Jones. I don't know what that role is actually going to flesh out to look like. Um, So I'm still like kind of keeping it in hybrid land, Um, but he could also be really good. Um, But the main starters at cornerback, and Stephen Blaylock, I mean, Blaylock had a, I mean, and everyone did, so I'm not trying to harp on it too much, but he had a really bad year last year. He was not good. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, I, I think we're all hoping that that was a one-year blip because of all of those other factors, but he was not good last year. Um, and he's going to need to be quite a bit better this season. Here's the thing about it. It's, you know, you can say last year was coaching, but I'll, I'll say most of this is recruiting. Because look at the guys that they've taken under Chip Kelly that are pretty, I mean, the, the hit and miss uh, ratio, you would say isn't, fan- I mean, Kenny Churchwell, who's not playing, but he hasn't really done anything yet to date. Shamar Martin will be a redshirt freshman cornerback, and we haven't heard that much from him. He was like third, fourth string in spring. Uh, Eli- Elijah Guidry. And I don't want to get on this kid because he's a quality kid, but he's the one who had to step in for Quentin Lake, and and he really did not have a good year. Uh, William Nemo will be a redshirt freshman who actually flashed in spring, but if he were really that amazing, he should have been able to step up and play last year. Yeah, Patrick Patrick Jolly, who we haven't seen really have any time, and Elijah Gates, who has gone backwards. I mean, John Humphrey, I think is he's still unproven, but I think he's going to be a big-time guy. Give him a little credit for Rashad Williams. But that's – and then a bunch of guys, you know, Jake Jake Newman, Jonathan Vaughns, those guys, DJ Warnell, that's all to be determined. But as of right now, there's a lot still to be determined. But that's not a great hit rate. Among – let's just say among Churchwell, Martin, Guidry, Nemo, Jolly – among those five guys, one more guy should have been a, just at least one, if not two or three, should have been a clear like threat, you know, guy threatening to be a starter and be a star. 
they said in their recruiting, we're going to out-evaluate everyone, take the guys that aren't highly rated. They've done two things. They've tated, take guys who weren't highly rated, like let's say Kenny Churchwell or Patrick Jolie, um, and they've taken some guys who were pretty high rated, like Shamar Martin uh, and uh, uh, Elijah Gidry, who wasn't highly rated. And so far, like a lot of those guys have not panned out at all. And we've seen it, you and I, watching this team, so much of what makes a team is the talent, a lot of it's coaching, but you need guys who, as soon as they step foot on that practice field, are just going to show like they're the guy. They're going to, even if they're not starting, they're playing, and then next year they're starting and they're a star. And we just have not seen that so far. I mean, Rayshad Williams, really. And he didn't clearly step up and, like, show himself to be a star last year there's no big time elite star power it's all of these guys that you would think maybe by the time they're in their fourth or fifth year they're going to be solid guys and that's about it there isn't you know i think john humphrey has a chance but you need more john humphreys yeah yeah and then i mean when i was doing the linebacker bit i mean it started to bounce around on you when i was doing the linebacker bit it's not just that they recruited like 15 linebackers, right? It's that like 12 of them are the exact same guy. Like, oh, this guy has some upside. He's pretty big. He could fulfill that pass rushing role. And they've got they've got 12 of those guys. Um and none of them are like except for Damian Sellers, um like pure known quantities who are like immediately going to fulfill that, but it's just like Look, I get it. I get the recruiting pass rush was a thing that you needed to do. You just didn't need to do it three times over. Um, you know, this this they've got Mitchell Agude, they've got Miles Jackson, they've got Shea Bryant Strother, they've got Damian Sellers, they've got Yohalani Ross. Um, on top of that, we've got like Kenny Mestador in at Mike Linebacker, but when we were initially thinking about him, he was more of an outside guy. That's where he lined up in spring. That's why. Yeah, he's there. exactly. And uh, like even a guy like Jeremiah Trojan, who we have lined up at Mike again, was evaluated in a lot of ways as a potential outside guy, as somebody who could potentially rush the passer. And it's just, it's almost no accounting for what the scheme is intended to be. Um, and maybe they have different ideas about what they're like, how many different styles of defense they are going to be running, how many different formations. Um, but even still, like there's no way you're getting all of these guys on the field in any kind of capacity. Um, and it's just way over recruiting a particular position. And again, you still don't know what you're getting from really any of them. Um, here, here's the real, here's the real flaw. I mean, and you, we could we could be critical of their recru- recruiting approach under Chip Kelly, but uh, his his mindset is I am going to get solid citizens, good kids, who uh, maybe aren't immediate impact guys, but they're going to work hard. They're going to be dedicated to football, and by the time they've been in my program for a few years will start producing and by the time they're older, you know, they could they'll be starters and potential all Pac twelve guys. I, I get that. I get that. There are plenty of programs who build who coaches who build programs doing that. But if that's your approach, you need to take steady guys in every class. You can't go in and take ten freshman linebackers. You cannot recruit a couple of 
uh, a couple of cycles and not take linebackers and then do that because what should be happening here is there should be enough linebackers who have come in under Chip Kelly and Don Pelham and this and they have been uh, coached under them. They know the scheme. They know the whole drill and they are ready to contribute. There, you, we shouldn't be sifting through uh, literally at that outside linebacker position. I have I have six guys in that depth chart because that's where they're going to line up six, which is absolutely crazy to begin with. And not one has taken a snap of college football. And it's, it's crazy. And five of them, five of them are freshmen or redshirt freshmen. That isn't the way. If you're going to recruit the way Chip Kelly was going to recruit his approach, that's not what you do. You should have a couple of juniors, a, soft, a redshirt sophomore who's played some. You should have some guys who have been on the field who are solid three lower four-star guys who are now ready to contribute. You, you shouldn't have a bunch of guys who might have some talent. Miles Jack, Jackson, Mitchell, I almost said Miles Jack, Mitchell Agude. I, I think uh, Bryant Stroder I'm, probably I'm has intrigued some talent. By, I'm intrigued by every single one of every these guys. I don't have a real special. knock on the individual recruitment of any single one of them. My problem is you didn't need all of them. You, you filled up spots on guys who uh, you just you're, – you're, you're fundamentally not going to be able to play. I mean, there's going to have to be real attrition from this group at some point because you can't carry that many linebackers for uh, the same class here. You need and all balance. You can think, Dave, is that they did this because they think uh, their approach to the defensive line is smaller guys, 6'2 to 6'4, 250 to 280. And, well, might some of these guys translate into defensive linemen? That might happen. In three years, when someone like, uh, God, you know what? There isn't anyone who just jumps out. I mean, I have J. Max Jacobson as a defensive end because I saw him and I thought he's not an outside linebacker. And he measured 6'3", 224 as a freshman. And, I mean, here's a giveaway. They have him, they have him as a linebacker and he's like number 98. So... <laughs> His jersey's 98. Um, so I think they know where he's going to be. Um, but, <laughs> yes, you're going to be a linebacker, J-Max. Here's your jersey, number 98. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there isn't, there aren't any obvious guys who would end up on the defensive line that have the frame and could fill up their, you know, to gain enough weight to even get to, like, 260. I mean, maybe Ross... Well, he's 240, and he's a true freshman. Maybe he ends up like 6'1 and 275. When we saw him, he, he was already pretty thick at 235 at the time. So whether they were recruiting, thinking, you know, we'll bring in all these linebackers, and some of them, I mean, obviously this guy, this guy, and this guy, we're going to end up as defensive linemen. I, there aren't any obvious guys like that. I mean, they brought in Hayden Harris, who does not, and now, you know, they he's 6'5", 240. I think they now went back to listing him as, uh, let me look. <laughs> they went back to listing him as a linebacker. They they threw him in at, at they changed that. Um, and he has the body of a linebacker. I can't see him ever. He, I, I'd be amazed if he got to 
you know, the, the size of Adua Isabor, even. So, yeah, I mean, a long rant here, but I don't, I, like you said, we were talking about secondary. I'm not as worried about that as I am linebacker. Yeah. I, I, there's, there's so much. It's either one of two things on you being good, a player. You're, you've been in that system for three years. You're a solid player. You've put in the work. And now is your time to be a starter, and you're going to be good. Not spectacular, but good. And then a guy like Miles Jack who walks in and, and just absolutely owns the field and is that talented. I don't see a lot of that. Here. No, there's maybe, maybe Damian Sellers and maybe John Humphrey in that defense. Um, yeah. And John Humphrey more out of necessity than anything. Damian Sellers, his talent might show out. Um, but there is, I mean, it's, again, it's, a, I, I think it's a group that could turn into a lot of those guys in that first category, like guys who are two or three or four year players who turn out really good. Like, I, again, no knock on the individual talent of any of these guys. It's just, you can't take nine of them in one class. Um, I will bet Miles Jackson, Shea Bryant Strother, uh, at least those guys, I'll even say, Kenny Mestador, I bet those guys end up like Kenny Young level guys, kind of guy. But true freshman, wow, that's a lot. That's yeah. a that's a lot. So defensively, I think that's going to be the big limiting factor is just all of this inexperience, especially at linebacker. How is that going to play out? What kind of lumps are they going to have to take because of it? Because I do think the defensive line, even going through it again, even realizing that Daytona Jackson. Like we again have him penciled in as a starter this year. He he has five total tackles to his UCLA career. I mean, he might he might have had the light come on or he might not have. We'll see. But even accounting for that, Osa Digazua, that the fact of like just there's kind of deep experience, at least relative to the rest of this roster, that defensive line should be okay. The secondary Tracy can talk me into it, maybe, offline. Um, but that linebacker core is going to be a, a, it's going to be a work in progress and hopefully the progress continues, but a lot, a lot is going to depend on Bo Calvert, um, switching gears to the offense. You know, we've talked about, um, I think kind of, again, relatively speaking, the receiving core being a pretty known quantity. And I just got to like, when I was doing this thing, I was like, okay, yeah, you've got Chase Cotto who had 25 catches last year. You have Jalen Irwin who had like 30 and you've got Kyle Phillips. who's really good. You've got nobody else, like nobody else who's really done much of anything. Um, Ethan Fernia, who we like had four catches last year. Um, Michael Azike, we have no idea like what really happened to him last year, why he didn't play. Um, and you know, guys like Dylan hurt. He looked a step slow this spring. Um, we haven't, I remember seeing him make one big play in spring practice. And but yeah, that, he's going to be a true junior and he hasn't caught a ball. Yeah. Well, he did. He caught the two point conversion. Won't show up. Oh, in his he official did. Stats, but he caught okay. that one. There, there you go. Um, but like Charles Njoku. Uh, and then we've got freshmen. We've got Matt Sykes. We've got Logan Loya. I think we're all counting on Logan Loya to kind of come in a little bit ready, sort of like Kyle Phillips and catch some balls. But it's a, it's a group with, you know, I think Kyle Phillips, who's a true kind of, okay, he's a he's a guy who's a stud. And then you've got Chase Cota, who, you know, you're hoping he can up his production. And Jalen Irwin, who you're hoping the back half of last year wasn't a sign of things to come. But again, other than that, it's a lot of hoping and wishing. Um, it's not a particularly deep group. And if you combine that with the tight end situation, 
where you have Mike Martinez, who didn't show particularly good hands and is now apparently, did they revise his weight too? No, he's now apparently 281 pounds. Yeah. Um, And he wasn't like, you know, the way Devin Asiasi, when he was carrying a lot of weight, you could still see him moving and say, okay, that's an athlete. Uh, Mike Martinez, he moves fine. Oh, no, he went back 268. Okay, 268. All right, well, that's more reasonable. That's still probably a little bit big for him, especially because he's kind of heavy-footed. Um, like, when he runs, he's not he's not sprinting downfield the way Asiasi could or certainly the way Caleb Wilson could. So, not a fast twitch guy. No. Um, kind of thumping feet. So, I, I don't know about that. Uh, Greg Dulcich, um, I think he can catch some balls, but you're, you're, you're not talking about a, a group that has an obvious dominant pass catcher. Um, so I think here a lot's going to depend on Kyle Phillips upping his production even beyond the 60 catches he had last year um, because somebody's going to have to dominate that interior and those tight end balls aren't going to be coming as much. Um, and then you're going to need so much more from Chase Coda and Jalen Irwin. Uh, they're going to need to be true deep big play threats because Kyle Phillips is going to be catching a lot of that stuff over the interior that's, you know, 10, 12-yard gains, but not your typical, you know, big bombs down the field. Um, if they're going to have any kind of vertical threat, it's going to have to come from those two guys. And they, you know, I think Coda potentially could handle it, but we haven't really seen it. Um, and that's the strongest group on offense. What I just said, and that's probably the strongest group on offense. We don't – running back – Britton Brown hasn't played a complete season since his freshman year at Duke. Um, and he's uh, going to be counted on more than likely to be the ostensible between the tackles starter. Um, it's what, it's what, Felton. It's what Chip said yesterday in the, he literally said, yeah, we brought in Britton Brown to, to replace Joshua Kelly. Yeah. And other than that, there's no option. I mean, Martel Irby, I mean, I think he's still dinged up, isn't he? Um, I think that's what Chip said yesterday. Yeah, I thought he said he was okay. I'd have to go back. I'll have to go back and look. But um, Um, I'm telling you, Cole Kinder. I I I swear, he looked like he looked great in that junk time period where he was running all over the field. Yeah, Yeah, um, I'm telling you, when they need if Britton Brown gets hurt or can't do it, and they need a guy who's just going to get four yards, going to get hit after two and fall for four, and they look down that bench. I think it's going to be. I think it's with all of these guys that have scholarships. I swear they're going to go to that that walk on. Yeah, but after that, it's just it's. I mean, before that, I mean, Cole Kinder, it's it's still an unknown. But this this group is, it's a lot of guys and no, it's a it's sort of like, um, but even less so. It's sort of like that linebacker group and that they're all unknowns. But also some of these guys. I don't know if they're going to turn into players. You know, with that linebacker group, I could see all of them turning into players. Um, this group, I several of these guys, I don't know um, yeah. if yeah. it's going to work out for them. And that's a tough situation to be in because Demetric Felton, I think we all liked a lot. He tailed off at the end of last year, too, and not a between-the-tackles guy, at least not consistently. Um, you can have him as like a change of pace and that sort of thing, but more often... He's your, you know, guy working out to the slot, your guy catching the ball out of the backfield, not your guy who's running between the tackles, you know, 15 times a game. Um, so I'm I'm concerned about that running back group. I don't want to relitigate quarterback right now because I'm sure we're going to well, be wait, talking wait. about... Wait, wait, wait. Before we get off a of running back, sure. Jamon McClendon is now 242 pounds. They doing fullback? I, 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 you'd... 
I mean, they've been they've been hinting that they were going to do a fullback. That's why they brought in Sidavani Kafusi two but years then, ago, but then moved and they him. never. Then they then he was with the running backs when he came back from his injury. Then they moved him to linebacker in spring. Then they said in the first roster a week ago that he was a defensive lineman. Now he's back to linebacker, but he's number ninety nine. <laughs> um, but he's two hundred and forty two pounds, McClendon. Uh, he was two hundred and two pounds. And when I saw him in spring, he was not 242. There was no way. He might have been He might have been 218, let's say. Even 220 at the most. Uh, I mean, I did he put maybe... on did he put on the COVID-19? <laughs> the COVID-1919. You see what I did there? You see what I did there? Yeah, 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 it's been done. But yeah, um so I no, I agree with you. You look at this and you say, well, and obviously UCLA thinks the same way that way they were recruiting <laughs> They were going after. They've got, you know, so many guys on scholarship, project, young guys. They were going after two running backs last year. They have one committed, in Dacia Morrell in 2021, and they're going after more. So they obviously don't see. And then and and then Chip says Britton Brown is gonna, you know, is the guy who's gonna replace Josh Kelly. They obviously don't see anyone else here. Um, Clearly not. That's a that's a lot of scholarships to to give to give up. I mean, you literally have one, two, three, four, five, six guys who are juniors or younger. You have five guys who are uh, you have four guys, sorry, who are sophomores or younger on scholarship. It's it's just crazy personnel management. Um, and what the one thing before we even go to the next position what we're saying is here in previous years we could go down this roster and you would do a preview there was just more guys that we knew about like there might be some guys some of those linebackers might step up and surprise us right right but there were just more known quantities even if they weren't really good we just knew who they were we literally don't know so about so many of the but, guys but, on this roster and i guess my point that i don't I, I don't know if I articulated it well in the in the linebacker thing that we were talking about, but the fact that there are so many unknowns is in itself a known because so many of those questions would have to be answered positively for the yeah. team to be good. And yeah. we know from experience that many unknowns, it's a 50-50. Like, you just, like, it's really hard to guess. Um, and more than likely, a lot of these questions are not going to be answered positively. Um They'd so, have to have a lot of – they'd have to hit a lot of 21s at the table. Yeah. <laughs> it would have to be a lot of good luck. Um, yeah. So, okay. So that's running back. I don't really want to delve too deep into Dorian Thompson-Robinson right now because I'm sure we're going to talk about him a ton uh, going sure. over in the next couple of weeks. Sure. Uh, but offensive line, um, and this is another one we've talked about a ton, but, again, it just kind of underscored everything we've said when you're previewing this that – that starting group, right? You got Sean Ryan, Paul Gratton, Duke Clemens, Alec Anderson, and then I guess Sam Marazzo. I fine. guess. Fine, right? Like, fine, okay. I don't love it. It's not great by any means, but could that be serviceable? For sure. Sean Ryan and Paul Gratton on the left side, that could actually be good. Um, you can talk me into uh, Duke Clemens and Alec Anderson on the right side. I don't think having a former walk-on at center is ideal. I think Sam Marazzo fits in well as like a backup at all three guard spots, you know, at the two guards in center. 
I don't know that I would want him starting games, and he may not be, you know, early early on in this year if uh, somebody can step up at guard. Um, but beyond those five, uh, it's again just either complete unknowns or known not very goods. Right. Um, but complete unknowns. Well, I mean, I've been. This has been one of my biggest things about trying to. <laughs> We know what UCLA wants to do in recruiting and then trying to make sense of what they're doing. They've always wanted to take less offensive linemen since Chip Kelly's been there than we thought was was smart, that they should take more. Those immortal words from Jim Mora, I think it was about in, in year four, and he said, I've learned you've got to over-recruit offensive line. <laughs> yes, yes. We know this now because we've been watching for a very long time. And they have plenty of guys here that are just so unknown. Josh Carlin, you know, uh, I'm still saying John Gaines is an unknown. Bo Taylor, Baraka Beckett. Those are guys that we should know more about, and and we just don't. Uh, Siali Liku, uh, there are just guys that we literally don't, have any idea if they could be any good and what you should do when you have a lot of unknowns and uncertainties is over recruit that because there's i just can't believe they that they are really saying we're good with you know the josh carlins and the baraka beckett's of the world because if they were those guys would be competing to start right now given who's at the top of this of these depth charts i mean like you said Sean Ryan, Paul Gratton, okay, we'll say that's a good left side. Uh, Duke Clemens is is going to be a good player, but this is a guy who's naturally 245 pounds, and now they say he's 297. We've seen what happened. Uh, there's just so many question marks. We could go down the line. Um, Alec Anderson, I think, will be a solid guy, but this is not a highly, highly talented offensive line with a lot of experience. Um, and that's where that's just where it stands. It would have been nice. The guys who have stepped up are guys like who have, are less uncertain. The Sean Ryan, Duke Clemens is okay. We understand those, but once again, their recruiting philosophy is let's go get some guys because we can out evaluate everyone. And we think Josh Carlin and Baraka Beckett and you know, Bo Taylor are guys who were under recruited, under evaluated, and we recognize them and they're going to, they, they haven't done that. And we've seen a little bit of them and they're, uh, they're not those guys. They might be guys who contribute as four and fifth year guys, but they're not come in play immediately. So it's lacking talent. Just like we said, up and down, we could keep doing this position by position. Just not a lot of known, proven talent. Yeah. yeah. God, people must be so tired of listening to us right now. Um, I know. But we still have to talk about basketball. So Okay. Okay. I know. I know. I know. Well, so whatever. It's going to be a football season. We're all excited for it, right? Right? And uh, you here's know the I thing. And, no, but here's, here's the thing. When I was going through it, and I, when I'm assessing it as how is the season going to go, it's not very good, right? That's not fun. But from like a long-term health of the program standpoint and all that kind of stuff, some of these guys might be a lot of fun to watch, particularly yeah, yeah. in that linebacker group. It's I'm gonna glad be, you're saying this. 
yeah, it's going to be really fun to see if some of those guys pan out in a big way because every time you're reading an evaluation of a lot of those guys, it's upside. You know, this guy's got long arms and a big body. Like, he could turn into X. He could turn into Y. Like, it's... I'll tell you why, Dave. This is where our collective expectations are as UCLA football followers. We've kind of written off the season a little. It would take a lot of unexpected things to, to happen that most people don't expect. I mean, there are a lot of fans on the forum that are saying, I think 5-1, and 4-2, and two, because they're going to step up and win here. That's great. I, I love to hear that. I really do. I'm not. I'm more based in in kind of fact and and what we've seen to determine what my judgment is. But what does make it fun is not necessarily thinking that they have a chance to really win big because that doesn't make it fun for me for this year. What makes it fun, and this is why we're into recruiting, is what individual players could really step up and develop because there are some guys here who are young. Who would be real? It'd be really exciting, and this is why I'm excited for the season. Like you said, is to see them flash some talent that's going to indicate in the future they could really be players. Like someone like Miles Jackson. I saw him in spring. He flashed a couple of times. I think from I saw him in three practices. So this is going out on a limb, but I think he has a chance, right? Uh, um, there are a few other guys like that that will have a chance, and that's going to be exciting for us to watch this year, I think. Yeah, and we're going to see a lot of them play. So yeah. I think there's a, there's a lot of potential fun this year, even if it is not necessarily in the team being all that good. Like, there's going to be a lot of glimpses of the future um, from different players in the depth chart. So Yeah, let's put it this way. If enough decent amount of guys, if they have a hit rate that's a decent amount – among all of these young guys that are on this team, they should, and they all stay at UCLA regardless of what happens. They should, they should have some talent in maybe a couple of years. Yeah, agreed. Did we say, did we say that a couple of years ago? Sure, but yeah. whatever. Hope springs eternal. Okay. Heart. Um, okay, we got to pivot to basketball and then get out of here. Uh, you ah, pivot, pivot to basketball. Uh, Dave? Yeah, you like that? That was good. Yeah, you didn't even good. know you did that. I okay. didn't know, but now I know, I'll, and it's really I'll good. Feed you. I'll yeah. feed you. You, fe- you, you fed me. I fed you. Yeah. Um, you fed me and I pivoted. Um, okay. Uh, Tracy. Yes. Tracy spoke to uh, our boy, Mick Cronin. Uh, he is our boy. He is our boy. Um, yes. He spoke to Mick Cronin uh, earlier this week, I want to say. Um, yes. Monday. Uh, time dilation is a real thing. Uh, yeah. But... A lot of really good stuff from that. Uh, Cronin went through the entire roster, kind of given his off-season evals of where everyone is. Um, talked a little bit about the upcoming season. Talked about a variety of different topics. Um, he sounds excited about this team. He does. First, how great was he in that? He's he's he, it's it's especially transitioning out of football to our basketball conversation. He's awesome. It's great. I mean. I have to, because I'm I'm designated a certain amount of time, and I would want to keep talking and talking and talking, but I don't want to be the media guy that te- keeps that coach too long. Right. But seriously, I, I could make that thing happen for like, it was an hour long, and it could be three hours. And yeah. he would love to stay there. He would love just the fact that he's willing to talk about each individual player and, and give me that, because... 
you know, newspapers don't need that. Our readers need that. They want to hear each individual breakdown. And he did that. And he knows that. It's just he he so he so gets it. And so many things in that in that interview were just so good that and maybe it's just me because I say, hey, coach, I saw this last year. And he goes, hey, you nailed it. You're right. <laughs> so maybe because he, he makes it sound like I'm right. He might do that with everyone. And we're all just wrong, but, and he makes you feel good. But, you know, I was talking about three point shooting. I was talking about staying in front of the ball, you know, and that those were critical things. And he said, you're absolutely, you know, you're absolutely right. The most important thing, seriously, the thing that dictates a game the most is can you stay in front of the ball? So it was just, it's just such a nailed on nail, just a great interview to talk to him. Um, and I mean, he broke a little news. I thought, it was news breaking. I didn't see it anywhere else that UCLA is clear to practice on October 14th, that there are no other clearances, health clearances they have to go through, which, which was something he talked that, which was pretty interesting that Chris Smith was never going to the NBA because he wasn't going to get taken in the first round. I mean, he dropped a lot of nuggets Yeah. in this thing, which he said, uh, they're playing San Diego non-conference. We, no one knew that that's all new. Uh, he said uh, uh, everyone they're recruiting in the 2021 class as of this point is holding out and will not uh, commit early and hopefully they'll get have time to have an official visit from. He didn't say it. I just want to make it clear. But that means the center prospect, Mac Etienne, uh, just to get this in really quick, he's been to Marquette in Illinois. Those are the places he's been to. UCLA is hoping that he'll hold out before he commits and they'll be able to get him on campus. They're hoping they'll be able to get a official visit after January 1st. He dropped that without, without committing a violation. There were so many things that it's so substantive. Oh, you say that word. Substantive. Substantive. Um, that it's just, it's so amazing to be able to have that kind of interview. Um, and you're right. He's, he's very excited, and I'm reading into this. He was really excited about Johnny Juzang. <laughs> yeah, I got that impression, too. Uh, well, just, and also, um, I mean, we, we'd be remiss if we didn't note it uh, relatively early in this discussion, but uh, as writers and uh, a publisher, you, uh, for David Singleton Report Online, uh, it was great to hear the positive uh, news about David Singleton's offseason and how he's in significantly better shape than he was entering last season. Yes, very much. He is key, too, because the biggest key to the season, seriously, we know Chris Smith is probably going to be. We know Jalen Hill. We kind of, But Tiger Campbell needs to just stay healthy and be able to give 30 minutes. And David Singleton is the backup point guard, and he is so dramatically important to keeping Tyker Campbell well-rested and, and not hurt. So that's all key. But, man, Johnny Juzang. You could hear the twinkle in his eye when he was talking about Johnny shooting, his skills, all of that, right? And I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb, and I'm going to write this as one of our keys of the basketball season. If Johnny Juzang can defend a two, and I'd say the way – Mick talked about it. He didn't address it specifically because if I asked him those kind of specifics, we seriously would have been on in that interview for about three hours. But 
I wanted to ask him, can Johnny Juzang defend a two? Because that's critical. And the way, because if he can, he's starting and you have his offensive ability on the court and it changes the whole dynamic of this team as their offense. And the way he was hinting about it was, well, defending is just not athleticism. It's, it's knowing how to do it. Like when I came here last year, I'm talking as McCrona now, a lot of the guys didn't even know how to defend, which was kind of a little bit of a reflection on the previous staff, I'd say. But if Johnny Juzang can, who's not lightning quick, but if he can defend a two and Mick Cronin can teach him to defend a two, and Johnny Juzang is a pretty well, is a pretty polished guy, a polished player for being a sophomore, then this team, I'm telling you, this team, that's, that's that's going to be a key, and they could be very, very, very good. If Juzang can play 27 to 30 minutes a game as a starter and not be a defensive liability, wow. That's all I'm going to say is wow, Dave. Wow, indeed. Um, but, yeah, if, if anyone out there has not listened or watched or whatever you do with a YouTube video that is just a still image but it's audio playing over, you're probably going to be listening to that. Um but uh, if you haven't yet, you really should jump on it. It's uh, an hour, hour plus, I think, of good stuff. Yeah. I think yeah. the first one was thirty-four minutes. Second part was something like that. Um, you you should check it all out. Uh, it's detailed stuff about every single player um, and uh, all the great yokage that they're into. You know, Jalen Hill. Jalen yeah. Hill apparently yoked, yoked out of his mind. <laughs> Yeah, and Mick Cronin a little bit yoked himself. Yeah, yeah you yeah. you got into that. Yeah, well, you know, I got to give him when you know a guy, older guy, you know, gets a little. You got to give him a little credit, make him feel good. I think. Uh, sure, sure. I mean, he already is so delf, self-deprecating himself. I'm so short. I'm this. He says about himself. You know, when he gets some guns, you gotta you gotta you gotta talk you know. to about his guns. I get it. Yeah, I get it. Should have yeah. been it should have been 10 15 minutes about his workout <laughs> regimen. That would have been weird. That yeah. would have got a, that would have gone bordering into a little creepy. Yeah, bordering. But I would have done it. I would have done it. You should have done it. Yeah. Frankly, we're all a little bit worse off because you didn't. Yeah. But uh just to close, it sounded like they are working on the wooden legacy to start the season, right? Yep. And the CBS what's the name of that thing? CBS Showcase with Kentucky, uh, Marquette at home, and then uh, San Diego. And if you're playing a 20-game conference season, those would be your five, your potentially your five non-conference games. So we might have just put together UCLA's basketball schedule right there. There you go. Yep. That's going to be fun. Got to be fun. We got a fun month of a whole host of preview content coming up in addition to all the coverage of fall camp. Um, which starts today. Which starts today, Friday, so October 9th. Player interviews this afternoon. This afternoon. Which is not Thursday afternoon, but in <laughs> fact, Friday afternoon. I don't know why you're the only one confused about this. But I okay. don't. I, I, I couldn't possibly even explain why. All right. Well, uh, unless Tracy has something else, you got anything? Else? I'm, that was a great show. I mean, I actually might listen to this one. Nah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods. 
Uh, hopefully you did listen to this point of the show. And uh, we will talk to you again next time. See y'all. Be safe out there.